0: Can you want to start us off with a word of prayer?
1: Yes, Father God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love all of which we deserve not at all, but you have lavished upon us and we stand in all of your truth that you have delivered to us in Christ. Thank you for our Lord, our savior, your son who makes all of this possible, who is the living word of God truth incarnate. Thank you that we can talk about the truth, we can believe the truth, we can study the truth, we can share the truth. May this podcast always be about that and that alone. May you help us even tonight to honor you and to bless your people, for you are worthy and they are a blessing. Help us now, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: This is truth. Welcome back everyone to the Truth Talks Podcast. I'm your host, Buddy Boone. With me today is the pastor of Belcroft Bible Church, kind of known as T-Bone and Taters <laughs> Church. His <laughs> name is Pastor Matt White. How you doing today, sir? I'm doing good. Doing good. real good. Good. I... Uh, I need to give you an update as well Uh-oh. on uh, my adventures, uh, uh, you know, last week. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, I haven't heard about that. Yeah. So uh, we, I wasn't in a tree stand. Okay. I did go hunting. I wasn't in a tree stand. It was raining pretty heavily that day. Yep. Um, Thankfully, uh, the person that I went hunting with, uh, his porch overlooked a nice, big valley. Yes. where uh he has uh kind of watched through uh through trail cams a a migration of how they come, you yeah. know, through that area. So we got up a little later than than norm than we, what we should have uh but we were out there before the sun uh rose. And uh <laughs> it was on his porch, which was was great. Excuse me, the problem was he has these rocking chairs <laughs> And these rocking chairs are extremely comfortable. Just, just great rocking chairs, you know. Um, I went ahead and purchased a few articles of clothing. Uh, uh, one was a, an amazingly thick pair of socks that were extremely warm. Uh, now, now, granted, it was probably around forty degrees, but the wind made it feel ten degrees less. Like yeah. it was, it was cold out there in the mountains. Beautiful view. I mean, you could see uh, uh, the uh, the Massanutten Mountains. You could see the Blue Ridge Mountains from the property. I mean, just gorgeous views. So, uh, then, you know, I had a pair of long johns on, had a pair of, uh, jeans on that were, uh, (laughs) I would say camouflage-esque, you know, real (laughs) tree-esque. Uh, and then, um, I purchased this coat from the store that was in the area, A, a, a phenomenal store. I mean, it reminds you of Bass Pro Shop, uh, uh, Tractor Supply, uh, all together, like all in Walmart, like pushed into the same store. Just great. I grabbed this coat, really heavy coat, you know, with the with the camo and and I was like, okay, it's $50. How am I going to explain this to Beverly? I was like, I think she'll be okay because this is a coat that I can use for the purpose of, you know, yep. everything. Cuz it's a it's a winter coat. So I picked it up, I'm like, all right, I'm going to the register. I get to the register and I said, "Oh, I'm gonna grab some baking soda." So baking soda was like a dollar, you know. And uh, you know, use it for your teeth, make your teeth look look white. <laughs> so I grabbed the coat <laughs> And I get to the register and he rings it up and he's like, that'll be $32. I said, the coat was 50. He said, no, no, no. The coat is $29.99. I yelled in the middle of the store, I am so happy right now. (laughs) So, uh, So I'm sitting there with this coat. I zipped it all the way up, put the hood on. All you can see is my eyes and the top of my nose. That's it. I'm sitting there. I got my hands in my pocket and I start rocking and that's it. You're gone. He has a video of me snoring. Yep. I'm I'm out. Yep. I'm rocking in that chair. I'm so warm. I just watched the beautiful sunset that God's put in place. I looked at a set of trees. It looked like Abraham Lincoln. I looked <laughs> over here some some of the vines that grew looked like a bear. I'm just picking this stuff out. Just sitting there. Got my uh, my my, uh, uh, my 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 crossbow ready to go. Like I'm just sitting there, just waiting, and then I fall asleep. Yep. I think that more than anything, that experience was just for me to rest and see God's handiwork and in, go. in, in, in a few hours. There like, you go. I don't understand why I wasn't doing this. Well, not falling asleep during the hunt. I don't understand why I, I haven't been out hunting my entire life. Like that is yeah. that is the culture bring bought to me. To PG County that, that you were brought,
1: and uh, I I
0: look forward to doing that again. Well, we're just
1: getting started. Yeah. But if you were hunting from the porch out of a rocking chair, that would definitely be categorized as city hunting. So city hunting. Yeah, that that's that that would not fall into the definition of of uh, real hunting. But it's a good place to start.
0: Well, my whole body was sprayed with the stuff, the the you know the anti smell yeah, yeah, stuff. too. Yeah, but that, that doesn't yeah, matter. That doesn't
1: count. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well. But that's all right. I mean, you got to start somewhere.
0: Well, I this is kind of how I feel with that. That was my introduction. Yeah. Into hunting. Yeah, that's a that's, that was an introduction. Yeah, it's
1: yeah, it's a good place to start. Yeah. Yeah, but it's a loose it's a loose definition of hunting. My theology isn't right isn't right yet. are your 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 theology of hunting is growing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. we got to start somewhere. We got
0: to start somewhere. Yeah, you know, that's all right. I'm working on it. I just I just came from. The point of just kind of liking deer, you know, yeah. venison. Yeah. Now to the point where, all right, I, I, I'm thinking, I'm like, I need to get this because I want some deer sausage. Yeah. Like, there I you just go. I want some so deer you're, sausage. You growing? So yeah, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm starting all over though. So <laughs> now this is what I do want to say. Uh, Our conversation that lasted probably until this is probably why we broke up late. We started we we didn't finish our conversation until 30. Now I am also going to bring this up because I have permission. I said, "Hey, I got a couple of questions for you," and I'm, I'm just saying that this may. I'm, I'm probably going to talk to my pastor about it, and this may end up on a podcast. So I have full permission to, to 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 have this conversation with you. Talk about the views. I didn't get it recorded, you know, with them. Yeah. But I know that if I go back, he he would. You know, and, I, and I and I'm not trying at all to misrepresent them. Now, what happened is, I, and I've known this about this particular person for a while, let's just call him Daniel, you know, to to, yeah. to protect the, the, the innocent, the, the sinful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> protect the innocent. Nobody's innocent. Nobody's good. So, um, so Daniel, we're having this conversation and, you know, just all of a sudden he says something and uh, he uses Jesus name in vain. Mm. So, I felt that that was a great opportunity to jump in. Speaking of Jesus, since you are a Jew, Daniel, what do the Jews believe about Jesus? And I just left it there. And I saw him put his head back. Like he was an old man. Take a deep breath. And was like, well, yeah, we don't believe in Jesus. And that just started a three hour conversation about what the Jews believe. Now, I'm bringing this to you because it literally was a great conversation because I was prepared to talk about eschatology, mm-hmm. which is for a Jew, the returning of Christ, the yep. returning of the king or, yeah. or, yeah. or, or, or the Messiah. The Messiah. Yeah. yeah. There you go. That was what he was like. Oh, yeah, yeah. I this, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And he was all down with it. And I'm like, okay but you don't believe that Jesus came to the earth. Like, no, I don't believe that. And I was like, so what was, so what is the Messiah coming to the earth for? His response was to take over and, you know, all these types of things. And I was like, but is that our biggest problem? What do you mean? I was like, there's this whole setup of butchering butchering a calf, calf, uh, you know, the scapegoat sending that out with the sins of the people on it. Like, don't you think, and wouldn't you look at, all of the old testament and see that sin was the problem with the israelites the whole time he's like uh yeah but you know it's that's not really what it is it's like you can't you can't look at it that way and i was like tell me how to look at it then he goes into i've never heard this before and this is the most i've talked on the podcast in a long time so I, you, you, I'm proud of you right now. I'm, dis- I'm listening, <laughs> brother. He says, because you know, obviously, I, I, I kind of feel like I got these this ace in my pocket. I haven't said anything about him, just listening, because I'm like, I got to bring up Psalm 22, and I got to bring up Isaiah 53, absolutely. So just talking and he's well you know that the you know the it's it's not it can't be it's it's all one time it's it's not two times it's all it's just one time that he's going to be returning and when he returns all these things are going to happen and i was like i agree with half of that i agree with yes all these things are going to happen 100% but he came first to earth to take care of our biggest problem that's what he took that's why he came to earth first so then Uh, We get into the conversation of Psalm 22 and he kind of like pushed that to the side. He won't talk about that, Mm -hmm. but he did approach Isaiah 53. So I'm going to turn there because I'm going to show you exactly what was said. Mm -hmm. So what he was saying was that Isaiah 53 is actually a, it's not talking about a person. Yep. He said "Is actually talking about the whole nation of Israel. Yep. And I said, so explain, explain this to me then. Mm -hmm. Um, in verse six, where it says the Lord has laid upon him or in my non-Armenian standard version, it says, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all Mm -hmm. to fall on him. Mm -hmm. So are you saying that the Israeli Israelite people are actually atoning for the sins of the world? Is that what you're saying? No answer. Mm -hmm. Now, we also had a conversation about the Talmud Mm -hmm. because I'm like, okay, I, I, I get what you were trying to do. It's like the Ten Commandments and the commandments and all the law was a fence. But then you had to have another fence called the Talmud so you don't get close to it. And he was like, he's like, yeah. He's like, there's also a, there's a rule in the Talmud that if I'm walking down the street eating a bowl of soup and somebody tosses a piece of ham in it, depending on the circumference of the ham, I could eat it or not. And I said, first of all, why are you walking down the street <laughs> eating soup? Second of all, who is walking down the street tossing ham into people's soup? Like, is that is that just something that y'all do? Like, why? Why do you why would you do that? And then you just said that you could eat ham. So if you could eat that little bit of ham, why couldn't you eat more? Like, it doesn't make sense. No response. So I'm bringing this to you because I want to hear your thoughts on it, number one, because I never thought of the aspect of Jews mm-hmm. appreciating and looking to um, all of these eschatological you know, things happening. Oh, yeah. So
1: it's part, so, it's yeah. part of their hope.
0: Yeah. And I, and I want to kind of hear about that because there are so many things that. You know him being, you know he's a he's he's a cultural, but he's also a a, a practicing Jew. Yep. You know every holiday he's axed off, and yeah. You know I've I've granted that because you know or well, whatever. I gave you more information that I want people to know just now, yeah. but but yeah, but it's like I want to I want to kind of get some understanding of that because I think that that will be you know, kind of just more eye opening for everybody. Uh, yeah. Especially if they're having a, an
1: interaction with someone who is a Jew. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, again, it it depends on, on who you're talking to. Right. I mean, it's, it's relative to the person. So it's, it's like Christianity, right? There's a, there's a splattering of, of people in it. So Mm -hmm. it's not one size fits all because people have so many, erring and different beliefs. Mm -hmm. Judaism, same way. You can have an Orthodox Jew, you can have a cultural Jew, you can have a a non-practicing Jew, you can have a, a, shall we say, a liberal Jew, a conservative Jew. I mean, it's that way in Christianity. So just because that's the way he responded, and that's his view of, you know, Isaiah 53, which is a pretty common view in Judaism, and I'll explain that in a minute, but that doesn't mean that everybody's going to see Isaiah 53, you mm-hmm. know, that way. So just keeping that in, in mind. But um, yeah, no, I mean, that view of even seeing Israel as the fulfillment or the interpretation of Isaiah 53, it obviously it carries no exegetical hermeneutical weight whatsoever. Just a simple reading of the text will will clarify, you know, um, makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Now I will say where does that come from? because there are there are uh, times in Isaiah where uh, Israel is the servant of God and, and the Messiah is the servant of God and that comes up in starting in Isaiah 40. And so there are some times where Israel is the servant right where Israel was to be the light unto the nations mm-hmm. as we see all the way back in in uh, Exodus 19 and so in that sense israel was uh, was and and uh, still one day will be in the millennium be a light to the nations and uh, obviously it goes all the way back to the abrahamic covenant and out of abraham will come the ultimate light to the nations which is christ so that's kind of where that comes from and there are some times in passages where israel is is or at least was in the mm-hmm. old testament the servant of god right. right and so that's you can see there's some warrant to that ideology but in isaiah 53 obviously there's no hermeneutical warrant for that interpretation at all like it just literally if the whole thing falls flat because it makes mm. no sense
0: and it was and then what he said was uh it goes from chapter 52 into yes 53 yes so yes
1: and it does it does in uh, if you're going to read it you know, exegetically flowing. It starts in really 52, 13 really is where it begins. Isaiah 53 really should begin in verse 13 mm-hmm. and go forward um, on so many levels. But anyway, so that's where that comes from. And that's not uncommon, but you handled it well. I mean, that would be just walk them through the text and just say, hey, how does this, mm-hmm. how does this fit? It, obviously it doesn't. And, um, yeah. So um now to your other point about the eschatology which is again when you whenever you're witnessing or evangelizing or even conversing it's always it's always helpful to just find points of reference mm-hmm. of agreement or launching points mm-hmm. and with a with a Jew it's always eschatology. And again that's why our eschatology is so helpful. Yeah. And so because our eschatology obviously is is different Without question, because obviously the center point, the glue, the the catalyst of our eschatology is Christ. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have Christ, mm-hmm. we got a major difference, mm-hmm. right? Massive difference. I mean Judaism and Christianity are in two different hemispheres biblically speaking. However, there is a lot that crosses over in the old testament, right? And so their understanding of Messiah obviously is 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 clouded and sometimes even jaded for sure. But yet they believe in a Messiah. Most most obviously conservative Jews, liberal Jews obviously have a whole different understanding. But but most uh, uh, what I would call cultural Jews, conservative Jews, and obviously Orthodox Jews. I mean yeah. I mean the Messiah's again. There's a lot of tradition and nationalism that continues to infect their view, but. I mean, they read the Old Testament, and you can't get around it, right? I mean, even in a Jewish reading of the Old Testament, the Messiah is a big deal. It's all about him. Mm -hmm. So that's why he pointed to that, right? And that's good, because now, all right, there's a point of reference. We can work from that, Mm -hmm. and we can talk about that. And then the reality is why the Messiah is such a big deal, and he said it, is because the Messiah is going to free them from what they see as their biggest issue, which isn't sin, it's the tyranny of the nations. Mm. And even today, right, for the any, any nationalistic Jew, meaning any Jew that takes his nationalism, his ethnic reality seriously, is going to understand and, and in some ways passionately, zealously see the tyranny of the nations as one of their biggest problems because Israel obviously is nothing as they were. Right? They mm-hmm. were the pinnacle in the Old Testament sense of history. Mm-hmm. It was all about them. And the promise is one day it will be about them again, in the sense of the center of the universe, so to speak, where everything will be where, where Jerusalem was the hub, mm-hmm. right? It was the center of life, i.e., um, in biblical history. And it will be again in eschatological history mm-hmm. when the Messiah reigns from Jerusalem and many of the promises to the nation are restored. So, so there's, again, these connection points where you can relate and you can talk to and then launch into biblical truth and gospel uh, presentation, which is so helpful. But that's So the connection point is they're looking for the Messiah, mm-hmm. right? Now, the problem is what they're looking for is not what the Bible teaches, mm. right? They're looking for a Messiah of their own making. They're not looking for what the Old Testament... Uh, technically taught. I, I've I, obviously Isaiah fifty three is all about the Messiah, right. and he came, and so they're not looking for that. That's why they easily s- sweep that away because oh no, that's Israel, right? Any time that's going to point to Christ, point to the Messiah, they're going to overshadow that with the nation. So what's interesting is there's a uniformity to their blindness. So Second Corinthians is obvious. Satan blinds the minds of the unbelievers. Mm -hmm. That's in general all nations. But then Romans 9 is clear that God has placed a blindness over Israel during the time of the Gentiles. And that is obviously there's an elect that the Lord calls out of the nation even at this time. And I'm not minimizing that, but that's minimal. The nation as a whole has been blinded as part of their judgment. Mm -hmm. And you can see that when you talk to Jews. You can just see the blinders. And it's, it's quite sad. Because it's like the Messiah is right there, almost like like almost literally in their face, Mm -hmm. and they're just totally oblivious to it. And there's a sovereign design to that, and that's what Paul talks about—that they have been blinded, blinded, they've been hardened. That's part of their judgment. And the Gentiles are coming in, and one day that Gentile salvation is going to make them jealous, which is going to open the door to the gospel to them, and that's part of the eschatology. But But the reality of their desire for the Messiah really grows, and this actually opens the door to the Antichrist and all kinds of stuff that's Mm going to come because of this longing to have their nationalistic identity again Mm -hmm. as the nation who is recognized by the the world and able to offer sacrifices and bring. I mean, you can see that just plays into everything. And it makes them easily deceived. Absolutely, because as I taught you, when there's Mm -hmm. that where when there's that eager desire it opens up to all kinds of false teaching yeah. right and we saw we saw that even in the disciples and so the reality of their longing for the return of the messiah not to return because he's never come for them yet yeah. so like you said i find it interesting that again you now know because you've been taught why they would have a view that sees it all at once yeah like that's not foreign to you yeah, like no. I, sh- I showed you that mm-hmm. and you can see how the disciples thought that mm-hmm. and how the olivet discourse takes on a whole nother uh facet to it now because you've seen it mm-hmm. you've talked to a jew mm-hmm. and now you understand those questions yeah when is the coming of the end of the age yeah. like, it, like it makes hey, it made total sense yeah. and and lord is now the time you're going to set up the kingdom of israel yeah. it's just like oh this is what jews think yeah because obviously in the in a in a non-messianic reading of the Old Testament, that's the way you're going to see it, mm-hmm. right? You're going to see all those prophecies as the prophets would would, would give them in the... Uh Prophetic foreshortening, as altogether, mm-hmm. just condensed, just combined. But yeah. as as we go into the New Testament and the obviously the coming of Christ, mm-hmm. just clarifies everything. Again, Christ yeah. clarifies everything, yeah.
0: and it's understandable because of all of the things like the the Babylonian exile yes. and yes. You know, all of the issues that they have gone through. The yep. and, and as a kid learning about the the Medes, you know, yes, the, the, the Persians, you know, the yes. Persians, yes. all of those things that have like uh, have oppressed. You know that people. Oh yeah, it's completely understandable that now they're looking for their hope, like yeah. yeah, and just like they
1: were looking for it in Egypt. Well, and they and the Old Testament says they're going to be oppressed. Right. The Old Testament says they're going to be judged, and then the Messiah is going to come. So that's part of why even in the Olivet Discourse, not to turn it to that, but that's where we are as a church, mm-hmm. where. You know they're thinking, okay, destruction of the temple. This the Old Testament talked about oppression, talked about persecution, talked about judgment. Okay, that must be when he's coming, mm-hmm. and so you know when he's going to return, i.e., set up his kingdom. So they knew it was him. The disciples had no doubt about that. They just didn't know how that was all going to be fulfilled. Interesting, Mary and Zachariah when when Gabriel tells them and says, no, the Messiah is here. John's going to go before. He's going to be the spirit of Elijah. Mary, you're going to you're going to be the the essentially the birth canal of the of of the Messiah. Like they're all going right back, and they both mention the reality of God freeing them from the judgment of the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Like you see, again, which is an Old Testament truth, mm-hmm. right? Which is obviously hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. They're still under that because of God's judgment on their unbelief. And therefore, the oppression of the of the national oppression continues and will continue mm. until Christ's feet hit Jerusalem mm. in the in the return. Mm. Yeah. yeah, now there'll be that pseudo covenant that's mm. made Daniel nine. There'll be that false one that they'll think, okay, we got it, we're coming back. And then obviously that just opens the door to the severe persecution that they have never even seen. Mm. Make the Holocaust look like heaven, mm. and so. Uh, but yeah, no. So that is a good. Uh, point you bring up that's really helpful that you can now you have a point of relation you have a point of clarity you you can you can run with that mm-hmm. you can talk about the blessing of the hope of christ and yeah. uh yeah and obviously because there is some similarities in the eschatology right the messiah is going to come back the messiah is going to rule mm-hmm. the messiah is going to reign yeah but at the same time it's done from the standpoint of the gospel mm-hmm. it's done from the standpoint of fulfilling the promises right? But not in the standpoint of a nationalistic sense, mm-hmm. but in the standpoint of a salvific sense mm-hmm. to see uh, the nation, i.e. The, the chosen, saved as God had promised, and to see him reign. So for them, it's all about them. This is, this is so. This is what I was saying a minute ago, the unifying reality of their blindness. So for Old Testament Israel, for New Testament Israel, it's always a nationalistic pride. And I don't mean that in disrespect. I just mean that in a sense of their nationalism blinds them to the reality of the Messiah because it's all about them. It's all about them getting what they were promised. It's all about them being restored. It's all about, and it's like, no, even in eschatology, which involves Israel, no doubt, mm-hmm. you know, as an aspect, it's not only about them, there's a Gentile blessing and, and, and salvation that's happening. However, it's all about Christ. Mm-hmm. He's the point. Mm-hmm. The Messiah isn't there to serve them. They are there to serve him. And that's been the problem from the beginning. Yeah. That was it in the Old Testament mm-hmm. at Sinai, mm-hmm. right from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Where did where did Moses go? I don't know. But make us make us another idol, right? Because yeah. it's all about us. Mm-hmm. They never... That has been their issue, their Achilles heel. Obviously, it's ours as well as mm-hmm. Gentiles. We're no different. Mm-hmm. But for them, as a nationalistic sense, that's a unifying blindness, you see. And even today, it's still about them. Yeah. But... When they fully repent, truly but repent, as Zechariah twelve says, at the end of the tribulation, when they're running scared stiff because the Antichrist is hunting them down, and they start to wake up by the sovereign grace of God and they see Christ coming through the clouds, they will be praying and preaching Isaiah 50 through mm-hmm. three, not as a nationalistic interpretation, but as a personal interpretation. Proclamation of true repentance, because mm. they will see the one whom they have pierced, and they will say what the Jews said next to, "What must I do to be saved?" Because mm-hmm. they'll be cut to the heart, and yeah. that, yeah, yeah. Well, you brought it up, so now I got to go there. Um,
0: in men's Bible study, you've been uh, in Exodus, uh, yeah. specifically, you know, talking uh, before that portion where they, you know, ask for the golden calf. Yes, it, 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 it kind of struck me pretty hard that they had to go through all those things. They had to go through every single aspect of, uh, uh, of cleansing, you yes. know, like all of that cleansing, all of those things they had to come up for those three days yeah, yes. for the preparation. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's like they did all of that. And then God actually came down onto Mount Sinai. They yes. couldn't touch the mountain. Like they fire thunder, no, yeah, lightning trump trumpets. And, yeah. I, and I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, Even in seeing all of that, even seeing that they then had to reach with on themselves and take that or wherever it was, take that gold and give it to Aaron for something that didn't even have the type of entrance that God had. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, that is it's it's. It's a lesson to learn because yeah. it's like you know that could have been me. Yeah, you know, just you know, just casual. Yep. Uh, with with God and and I had did all this preparation, but yet I don't actually want to even talk to God. Let Moses go up there. Yeah. Let let let, let Moses talk to him.
1: Yeah. And then they turn around and do the cap. So that was just an observation. Well. No, it's yeah, you're right, because that is the heart of every man, so it's not just a Jewish issue, it's a human issue. That's that's Paul's point in 1st Corinthians 10 when he says all of these things, referencing even some of that, mm-hmm. some of that day when they made the golden calf and and uh, thousands died, right? And yeah. Paul quotes that out of 1st Corinthians 10 talking about temptation, and he says, you know, this happened as examples so that you will not fall into same, into the same debauchery that mm-hmm. they did and and be destroyed. So so yeah, there's there's a lot to that that's helpful. Um, but you brought something up in that I wanted to I wanted to talk about the reality of forgetfulness. Yeah, like that's that's I think what that story of the Mount Sinai. It's a I think a perfect illustration of the forgetfulness of man, not just the nation. Though the nation obviously serves that picture well for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had been. the red sea they had been through the plagues they had been through you know the bitter water turned sweet i mean they've been through everything and yet 40 days without seeing moses and they're already worshiping idols i think it's a it's a wake-up call to how quickly we forget god so i would even encourage you when you have this conversation with your new hunting buddy (laughs) um i would encourage you to just ask him some questions because if he's willing to which is a massive door if he's willing to open up even the old testament if it's just even if it's just the old testament because that's what most of them will be willing to they don't want to talk about the new testament mm-hmm. but that's okay because most of the most of the new testament preaches the gospel from the old testament mm-hmm. so it's like yeah the gospel's the same old or new so it's like all okay, right you want to go to the old yeah let's talk about the gospel mm-hmm. and you were already doing that with sacrifices which is good but but it would be good to kind of just ask him, you know, was there ever a time where Israel was forgetful? Was there ever a time where Israel forgot Yahweh, where they didn't follow Yahweh? That they uh, I mean, obviously the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where all the judgments and stuff come from, and the mm-hmm. old testament's clear about that. Mm-hmm. But you could you can take them to Isaiah one, right? Where where Isaiah's like, Yeah, how does the donkey not forget its master, but this nation has forgotten me? Mm-hmm. Right? And that's 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 the Achilles heel on Israel and everybody. There's forgetfulness. They've Forgetfulness meaning they've chosen not to remember him mm-hmm. because they've focused on self. That was that was obviously Mount Sinai. That's all the time. So obviously the answer is so clear in Scripture. Over and over again, they're forgetting God, i.e., they're turning from God. And and it's like, do you think that could continue? Like, do you think, like, look at how many times in Scripture where the nation forgets God, mm-hmm. forgets the God who has redeemed them. Mm-hmm could it be that we're in a time now where the nation has forgotten? <laughs> mm.
0: And, and, and as you were saying that it's like, I would, I would add this to it as like, even during the times when you had all of these festivals and all of these, you still you know, different them. times, like you, like you still forgot them then. Yes. What about now? Yeah,
1: no, I mean, yeah. obviously, So that might be just a good inroad for you as you mm-hmm. continue, uh, uh, city hunting. It's, yeah. It, it's 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 gonna I turn mean, hey, from city. No hunting. no no. I mean, if if city hunting turns into evangelism, you've just sanctified hunting. <laughs> you've just made hunting now a ministry, and I'm all about that. I mean, right. you you you've just turned. I will take that. Yeah, you've just turned. You've just turned a hobby into something heavenly. Yeah, there you go. So there you go. See how that works.
0: I, I, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Because yeah. because all that does is that makes me say, honey. Um, I'm going. I'm going to evangelize. I'm going ha, evangelize. Ha,
1: evangelize. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going heavenly hunting. <laughs> there you go. There you go.
0: Well, yeah. Uh, beautiful spot, though. I I, I really like. I really loved to actually be doing something like that. Like it's it's a it's a completely different experience for me. And and the joke was, you know, when we came back, a black dude and a Jew went hunting. <laughs> that was that was the whole joke. That was it. Uh, I like I like it yeah so yeah but yeah all right so continuing literally in the same thing praying um, that that
1: becomes a messianic do you? yeah I, I'm, I would that's what I'm going for so. many good things come out of hunting my friend
0: yeah uh but not this time with deer sausage I, I really wanted some deer sausage but mm-hmm. we'll work it out okay so uh one of the questions that I that I had because You were um, as you were talking on last Sunday, which was December 4th uh, of this recording last Sunday, um, you were it was it was really going towards the fig tree and uh, towards the that that parable. Um, One of the things that I I, I had a question about and the question was the church versus Israel being clear on this for me. And for others to understand, because I really want to make sure that I understand that because you've mentioned it on the podcast before. And, um, of course, having a conversation with him saying that, you know, the Israelites were, you know, the the he in and in, in uh, Isaiah 53. And I'm like, OK, I know that's not true. Yeah. But when it comes down to the saving uh, mm-hmm. of that um, uh, of, of that nation, mm-hmm. um, the church versus Israel has been one of those things where you know a lot of people have kind of conflated the two yeah you know can you give me some understanding on the, the the role of the church and then the role of israel because honestly i can kind of think that they are the same thing yeah you know, they're both being saved they're, yeah. they're both you know the yeah. return of christ is gonna save them both yep. you know what kind of helped me yep. understand so, the two the,
1: between the two so a couple things um salvifically there's no distinction Okay. So that's just just a good, just a good starting point, mm-hmm. right? Where, where is the unification? Where is the distinction? Salvifically, meaning there's not two Gospels, okay? Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the conundrum you're going to fall into if you, if you make a dichotomy where there is none, right? So there's no uh, uh, discontinuity between the Gospel and the Old and New Testament. It's mm-hmm. the same. Mm-hmm. We are saved by grace through faith in the promise of God. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that crosses over from Genesis 3 all the way through. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is no different gospel. Mm-hmm. Old Testament looks forward to the fulfillment of the promise. We look backwards backwards right, to the cross. So the cross is what's looking forward, all the testaments, all the sacrifices from the from the goat that was killed in Genesis 3 to make the coverings for Adam and Eve, all pointed forward to Christ, mm. every one of them. Now, obviously, through progressive revelation, that that becomes clear as you move forward, and you see that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, even even as early as uh, Genesis 22, when Abraham is sacrificing his son, another sacrifice that points to Christ, mm-hmm. he literally says, on this mountain the Lord will provide. Well, it's that mountain that literally becomes Jerusalem. That is Jerusalem. Mount Moriah is Jerusalem, mm-hmm. where Christ is sacrificed. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and then by the time we get to the to uh genesis uh what is it 49 we know that the messiah is coming even not only from israel but from the tribe of judah where he declares that and then when you get to exodus and you understand that he's coming as a prophet and uh i mean it just keeps going the promise so there's a there is the reality of the promise of god from genesis 3 where the 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 seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, and that just builds from. That's the first. That's the first uh, evangel evangelistic presentation. Is the need is there? The promise is there. The hope is there. It's all there Mm -hmm. in Genesis three fifteen, and that's the beginning of the gospel right there. That's the first time it comes out because obviously sin is entered and judgment is coming. So from there forward, I mean, there's no difference. So. I think you just got to start there and realize gospel is the same. Salvation is the same. Mm -hmm. There is one people of God. So if I were to write this on a whiteboard, I would just write a big circle and put the people of God. So you got the Old Testament, you got the New New Testament, you got the church, you got Israel, you got tribulational saints. You got all these eras of time, Mm -hmm. but there's just one people of God. Mm -hmm. There's not like... A category of Jew, a category of Gentile, a category of church, a category of tribulation. <laughs> it's like, right. no, that's not, that's not, that's confusing, mm-hmm. right? There's one salvation, there's one Lord, there's one people of God, mm-hmm. right? That's the, what the Bible teaches. And that's a good place to begin. That's clear, undeniable. Scripture lines that out clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, now, within the people of God, there are remaining distinctions. And this is not abnormal nor is it illogical, because when we get, and I'm, I'm working backwards, but when we get to heaven, for instance, Revelation 22, where the display of what the eternal state, true heaven, is going to be like, the eternal state where we will rule and reign with Christ for all eternity, well, what does it say? There's going to be every tribe, tongue, nation. Ethnicity still continues. National distinctions are still there, and there's still this distinctions— That retain in eternity, yet we're all the one people of God. We're all the redeemed of God. So there's the unification that comes from our union with Christ, i.e. our salvation, and yet there's still distinctions made by our identifying factors, by our nationality, ethnicity, and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so so to talk about unity and diversity— is not unbiblical. Actually, that's a unifying theme in Scripture, Mm. unity and diversity, Mm -hmm. where we are unified around Christ and yet diversified in personality and and ethnicity and all these things, yet we're, we're unified. So when you start talking about church in Israel, there are clear distinctions in Scripture, which again, isn't abnormal, yet there's unity in Scripture. And so it's trying to parse those out biblically And not overstate them or not understate them. That's where the rubber and the road meets. And so, most theologies, i.e., most camps, even covenantalism, dispensationalism, or any other ism that's in between all of that, and there are myriads. Most of them recognize, and this is the academic term continuity and discontinuity where there are things that continue from the old into the new and there are things that discontinue. So, or you could say it this way, there's unity across and there's and there's diversity across. And mm-hmm. so there's there's continuity. There's yep, that just continues. There's discontinuity. No, that stops. Mm-hmm. And so trying that's where the that's where the line of rub is is where you draw that line or what what you say continues what you say discontinues and that's kind of the argument around church and Israel. And so those that see great continuity would say, "Oh, the church is now Israel." They would see it as a great continuity where oh, okay. where Israel now just continues into the new but now it's the church. Mm. So so the church replaces israel but all of all of those things that were promised to israel now they get give they're given to the church hmm. right and so that's the continuity so that's where infant baptism continues circumcision of the old hmm. it's a continuation right, right. yeah and right. so you'd start to see there's continuity where i would say no there's more discontinuity there mm-hmm. so you can start to see where the arguments line up theologically mm-hmm. and where the camps come and it's just an overview which is helpful but mm-hmm. what the bible teaches as you study this out is there's both continuity and discontinuity there's both mm-hmm. now you just got to figure out where that where that falls and you got to do that biblically you can't do it through theology i.e. Your view of things—you got to let the Scripture shape your view. Mm -hmm. You can't let it happen through history, through tradition. It just—it's exegesis, and you got to do that progressively. You got to read your Bible from from Genesis to Revelation as the flow of Scripture, because the Bible becomes clearer historically as it goes forward, and more revelation comes out. Mm -hmm. Like a house, Mm -hmm. well, in the beginning of the house, you can make it out, but you don't know what the rooms are going to look like. Well, by the time you get to the Revelation, you see the house, you see the rooms, you see the furniture. Like, it's a far clearer picture, and Mm -hmm. that doesn't negate what's the old, and that doesn't exemplify the new. You got to see it all together. Mm -hmm. And so, as you're studying this out, you see there is unity, and there is diversity. We're one people of God, that's the unity, centered around one gospel, centered around one Redeemer, centered really for one purpose, His glory. And yet, when you start to study this out, there is clear distinction between the entities of Israel, the entity of church. And so what are those distinctions? Well, one is the promises. There are specific promises given to Israel that are not given to the church. Mm-hmm. And um, so, um, and you can nail those down, millennial becomes pretty clear, right? Where there is the Davidic covenant. The um, Davidic covenant is a is an Israel covenant for sure that the the Messiah will sit on the throne of David, 2nd Samuel 7, Davidic covenant, where he is promised, where Israel is promised to have a king, a legitimate king who will rule and reign from Jerusalem forever. Right? That's mm-hmm. so that's the that's the Davidic covenant. Mm-hmm. And that's I mean that is yet to be fulfilled. That's part of what no doubt if you talk to your friend, if he knows, you know, anything about the Old Testament, that's a good starting point because yeah. that's part of what they're waiting for. Now right. they're looking for that from a nationalistic, they're looking, the Messiah for them is going to be human. He's not going to be divine. That's right. that's part of their issue. They're looking for a man to come in and do man things. Mm. And that's, again, a dividing point between the Bible and what the what the truth is or what they think. So, But back to your question. The distinctions obviously center around the promises, the earthly promises. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, unity is around the gospel and around salvation. Uh, Distinctions is around uh, national promises given to national Israel, restoration of the nation, the purpose of the nation to bring about, uh, uh, shall we say, the kingdom of God where he will rule and reign from Jerusalem nationalistically. And so there's all kinds of promises that are dealt with the land, dealt with the kingdom, dealt with the king, Davidic king, of which Christ is going to fulfill all of of that in the millennium Mm -hmm. when he will literally reign as the king. He will literally restore the land and he will and he will literally bring peace upon earth, which is the uh, Abrahamic covenant, Mm -hmm. because remember what remember what God said to Abraham? i.e. the beginning of Israel, which is Abraham, he said, out of you, I'm going to make a blessing that's going to come to all nations. Well, yeah, Christ is part of that, but not just in the salvific sense, but even in the nationalistic sense, where the Messiah will rule and reign from Jerusalem, and that will bring peace upon earth Mm -hmm. during the millennial reign. It's Mm -hmm. part of the Abrahamic covenant, which is yet to be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. That has never happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, The closest we've ever come to that was Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. So this is fascinating when you start to study this. When the Queen of Sheba comes to Solomon, and he ultimately fails in the moment, but there's a snippet in Scripture where you get a slice of what it's going to be when the ultimate king rules and the nations are coming to him. And Queen of Sheba comes because she's heard about the about the uh, reputation of King Solomon and the Israelites. Mm-hmm. The whole world has heard, and we have to come see your God, and we want to worship, right? Mm-hmm. That, I mean, literally what she says, that's the whole point of Israel. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's what it'll be like in the millennium, where the entire world will be flooding into Jerusalem to worship the king, because they know he's the ruler and all of that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what the Abrahamic Covenant said, and that's where he said, to you I'll make you a blessing to the nations and the nations that bless you I will bless and the nations that curse you I will curse where does that where does that happen well there's snippets of it but that hasn't happened in its entirety that will happen in the millennium that's what he says if you don't come and worship me i will remove the rain from you and you will be cursed but if you come and worship you'll be blessed mm. yeah and so you so there's the fulfillment of the promises of the covenant the abrahamic covenant the davidic covenant those are all those are all in the nationalistic earthly sense those are all given to israel they're not given to the church mm-hmm. what nationalistic promises do we have we're not a nation mm-hmm. we don't have a land we don't have a king we're not a nation, and so we're the church. It's it's a distinction. Mm-hmm. There's a difference. So you want to see this exegetically. One, you brought it up earlier. Acts one. When will you restore the kingdom to Israel? Notice he didn't say the church. He said to Israel. Jesus never corrects that. Mm. He just says he never says you are wrong in your in your in your distinction of making the kingdom of God about Israel. Notice they didn't say the kingdom of God. Period. Though that's. That's used synonymously of the kingdom. It's kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, Mm -hmm. same thing. Notice he's restore the kingdom to Israel. Mm. So distinctive oriented in their description. Jesus never corrects them. Mm. He never says that was wrong. What he corrects them on is not the nature of the kingdom, the timing. They said, is now the time? No, it's not for you to know the time or the seasons. And so he moves on. So clearly, there's this reality of this kingdom coming to Israel. Well, I think you see the distinction right there in the text. Mm-hmm. The book of Acts is fascinating, because within the book of Acts, you have the church, and you have national Israel, and they're, and they're distinct. They're not put together. Even though you have Israel coming into the church, mm-hmm. all the people saved for the first 10 chapters are all Jews, mm. right? And, so, and yet, they're still referenced as Israel. Yet they're in the church, hmm. so you have this continue throughout the book of Acts: church Israel, church Israel, church Israel. Were were you having distinctions being made? Acts fifteen, right? They're talking about what the church going to the Gentiles and what and what was the false teaching? They're telling the Gentiles you got to be Jews to be saved, hmm. and the Jews, which are Jews in Acts fifteen, it's Jews. It's all Israel. And they're saying no, no, you don't have to become Jews to be saved. It's just helpful if you don't do this and don't do this and don't do that, and they're spreading out. So there you have national, distinct Israel, still serving as Israel, speaking to the church, Gentiles, and you see these distinctions, and that carries on through the book of acts which is fascinating
0: and you also and and as you're saying that it like a whole bunch of stuff just popped up in my head you know the, the day of pentecost you see all of these jews speaking yes. the languages of all of the people that were yes. in jerusalem yes and them thinking that they were mad yes but no this was god you know doing that in that moment um yes. i was also thinking about uh the uh the situation uh when peter was at cornelius's house and yep You know, it's like, hey, you know, this the Jew, but the Jews saying, you know, God saying to the Jews, rise, kill and eat. So, yeah, that is completely fascinating now that I think it through. Like that is that is very eye opening to see like all of those different ways that the church was the church and then the jews were the jews but the
1: jews were coming into the Absol- church as well absolutely so. absolutely and so and then obviously the 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 uh paramount passage that is so helpful in this is obviously romans 9 10 11 mm-hmm. right where paul talks very clearly that there's a distinction between the nation mm-hmm. and the gentiles and uh and yet there's a unity in the gospel mm-hmm. right where it's one salvation it's one gospel There all of israel i.e the elect of israel will be saved and so he makes that unity, and he doesn't say there's another gospel, mm-hmm. and yet he holds the distinction about the church mm-hmm. and the time of the Gentiles, the age of the Gentiles. That's now. He even says that, even calls it that, and yet there's a time coming, and that we know that to be the tribulation, mm-hmm. and uh, where there will be then those promises fulfilled, the national Israel by way of the elect of, of God. Will be saved, and and you even see this unity and distinction even in the Book of Galatians, the often uh, shall we say debated passage, but I think pretty clearing what is Galatians six, the Israel of God. Like, what is that? Mm. Right? Those are the those are the redeemed Israelites who are being placed into the church, i.e., they're being saved, and so uh, that's who he's referencing. The Israel of God is the faithful believing Israelites who are being saved. Mm-hmm. And so again, you, you can see there's, why didn't you just call them the church? Mm. They're in the church, right. but he's still retaining that, that comment of his people Israel because there's a distinction that remains. There's still a plan for them, there's still a, uh, shall we say, a divine. Uh, what does Paul say? The 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 gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. There's a plan, a covenantal promises given to these people that have yet to be fulfilled that will be fulfilled, and that's why the distinctions need to continue, mm. not by way of salvation, but by way of... Uh, of uh, divine plan, which is all part of His ultimate restoration of Jew and Gentile everyone, mm-hmm. right? And so He's going to restore it all for the Jew, for the Gentile, i.e. I, I, in Christ mm-hmm. in the end. And that's why that uh, that unity and diversity is so helpful.
0: Yeah, that is good. So I have one more question to ask you, um, and. I don't know how long this this question is going to take, but I want to take a break right here and then we're going to come back and I'm going to ask you this question. So while that's happening, I'm going to give you all uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The biblical gospel starts with God out of nothing. God made everything, including you and me to bring himself much pleasure. His purpose for us as humanity was to love, obey and enjoy him perfectly instead of this. Man has sinned against our loving creator and acted in rebellion. Since God is good and just, he must punish sin that deserves eternal conscious punishment under God's wrath and hell. But God, being merciful, loving and gracious, had a plan to punish sin and so be a just judge and yet forgive sinners and so display mercy. By sending his own son, Jesus Christ, the co-equal and co-eternal son of God, to take on human flesh, fulfilling his perfect requirements in the place of sinners, loving, obeying, and enjoying him perfectly. Furthermore, Jesus bore the full wrath of God upon the cross, and he satisfied the eternal anger of God. Standing in a place of sinners, though he was himself perfectly sinless. God showed his acceptance of Christ's sacrifice by raising Jesus from the dead after three days in the grave. Now Jesus commands everyone, everywhere to repent, turn from their sin, and believe, trust in him. This is the glorious transaction. God then charges Christ's perfection to the sinner and no longer views him as an enemy, but instead an adopted son and daughters covered in the perfect righteousness of his son. We can now have peace with God and have eternal life with him forever. It's true for every person in every culture, in every place, in every language through all time. So our response to this good news is repentance and faith. Dear hearer, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Turn from your sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and this day be reconciled to God. Never done that before. Had the gospel in the middle of everything so that all the people that skip it at the end, you had to listen to it this time. So I know some of y'all skip it. It's okay. So here's my question. And you alluded to it very quickly. Uh, I can't even remember which which uh, sermon that it was, but there's this wonderful story or I want to say uh wonderful part of revelation and it is revelation 12. Mm. So in my Bible, my wonderful gift that somebody gave to me, uh, it is titled the woman comma Israel. Mm hmm.
1: Look at my Bible.
0: What does it say? It says I can't even read it because you got so many
1: notes. Exactly. The woman and the dragon. What did I write? <laughs> <laughs> you crossed out the dragon and it said Israel. No, 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 I didn't cross out the dragon. I just drew a line from the woman uh, through the dragon, to yeah, the dragon Yeah. Okay. So I just saying how I write notes. So there you go.
0: Okay. I'm I'm really interested in how this whole thing plays out because when I saw that, I was like, wait a minute. That is a very pointed uh you know um
1: just like look at it and it says israel yeah so so, so i mean obviously this is just some obviously symbolism metaphors figures of speech right mm-hmm. we, the bible's filled with them as every book is especially a divine book like this the one divine book i mean figures of speech is how we speak and interact and Good hermeneutics recognizes the use of figures of speech, and there's many different types. It recognizes that. It uh, uh, doesn't deny that, and it uh, understands rightfully how to interpret those things. Now, sometimes those can be difficult to discern, but there's ways to do that in just normal grammatics, of which God gave us that. Again, hermeneutics, our principles of hermeneutics are not man-made. They're God-delivered. How, where do we get Sound hermeneutics. We get it from language. Where did we get language? We got that from God. Mm-hmm. God gave us language. He gave us writing. He gave us understanding. He gave us grammar. Mm-hmm. He gave us all these things, which is where our hermeneutics come from. Our hermeneutics is just a is, is nothing more than the outworking of good grammar. Mm-hmm. This is how you understand speech. This is how you understand language. This is how you understand. Uh, syntax and context. Mm-hmm. Well, where does that all come from? That comes from God. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't even have hermeneutics if we didn't have language. right? So so you just have to remind yourself of that. So when it mm-hmm. comes to figures of speech, right, we, we, we are able to discern some harder than others, some easier than others, but we're able to discern that because of our hermeneutics. So what's interesting, you brought it up, this chapter is not necessarily an easy one, for sure, because of the symbolism of the woman, the dragon, the sun, all of that. Yet, mm-hmm. as you're studying it out, in the, especially in the whole of Revelation, you realize pretty quickly, yeah, he's talking about Israel. Like, so much of Revelation is talking about Israel. So here's what's fascinating. That's undeniable. Matter of fact, just look across uh, the page. You got the two witnesses, right? The two witnesses who becomes pretty clear, are Israelites, right? Right. Now you go, just turn the page a little bit more. Now you go and you've got the Mm 144,000, chapter 7, which is so clearly Israel, because the distinction is made out of these 144,000. There's 12,000 from what? Each tribe. Yeah. 12 times 12 is 144 in West Virginia math. (laughs) So obviously... Is 144,000 people, 12,000 from each tribe. Obviously, who are we talking about? Israel. Israel. Yeah. So here's what's interesting, and then that, that continues through, uh, you know, the kingdom. Obviously, when you get to Revelation 19, obviously we're talking about Israel because that was all prophesied in the Old Testament, and so the um, abomination of desolation happens in Jerusalem. Right? You start to see that, and it's and it's again, it's centralized around Jerusalem, centralized around Israel. There's more than just Israel in the sense of the nationalities that are being impacted. It's global. But so much of what we're reading about in Revelation in this section is all about Israel. Well, why? Because the Tribulation is in large part about Israel. The time of the Gentiles is done. Mm -hmm. Paul talked about that. Mm -hmm. And when the time of the Gentiles is done, the jealousy for the Gentiles, salvific-wise, is going to prepare them for the salvation that's going to come to them. And so the Lord had opened up, he grafted in, into his promise he grafts in the gentiles and now he's going to bring back in Israel Ie not all of Israel but the elect of Israel and that's what the tribulation is all about on so many levels mm-hmm. and you're seeing it here in the text mm-hmm. but here's what's fascinating what is the beginning of revelation the church seven letters
0: yeah the seven letters of the churches and do, you all that. The
1: wow. do you see the distinctions do you see that you see where you have Israel you have the church, mm, yeah. You, they're being saved. Mm-hmm. Unity, people of God, mm-hmm. one. But yet, you have these, these, these continuity and discontinuity. Mm-hmm. You have these realities that continue. These distinctions, mm. and there's obviously, and I think this needs to be said. There is, there is mystery. Paul uses this, speaks very clearly about mm-hmm. the mystery multiple times, of which the church in Israel is all part of that mystery. And there's mystery to uh the reality of the nation of Israel and the promises and the plan and the church. There's there's stuff here we understand that scripture declares there's stuff here we don't. Mm -hmm. And I think there just needs to be some interesting there needs to be some humility that we don't have that all figured out. And even what that's gonna look like in the end. Mm -hmm. Right? Like what how is that all gonna work in the end Mm -hmm. in the eternal state Mm -hmm. when you've got the church, you've got Israel, you've got tribulational saints, like yeah, we're just all going to be the people of God, mm-hmm. but there's still distinctions. Right, right. there's still Revelation twenty two tribe tongue. You see, how is that all going to work? Mm-hmm. Is one entity going to elevate? You know, I, it, some of that I don't have answers for. I really don't. And then because I don't think the Bible really gives us a, a ton of distinctions at that level mm. beyond national, ethnic, and all of that. The one people of God is the focus, and I think that's where we focus the unity, right? Not denying the diversity, but I find it interesting in Revelation, you brought it out. So I wanted to bring it out further mm-hmm. right there. You see now what's interesting church in the beginning of Revelation, Israel in the middle church in Israel at the end. Mm. That's how it flows. Mm-hmm. Do you not see a distinction there? What's in the middle? The tribulation. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Church is gone. Yep. Don't even see it until the end. Mm-hmm. And where do you see the church in heaven? Mm -hmm. revelation 19 the bride of christ so they're in heaven they're already there they were revelation two and three on earth how did they get to heaven the bride the church whose marriage supper of the lamb how did they get there Um, just saying something happens yeah but israel and the people being saved in the tribulation i call them tribulational saints that's all still going on on earth. So now, now I've opened up a whole nother Pandora's box for another podcast.
0: Yeah. Cause I'm like, uh, yeah. I got some questions here. Yeah.
1: But <laughs> hopefully you can see how that distinction carries over even through the new Testament mm-hmm. where at what level do you want to admit or embrace the distinction is another discussion, but you can't deny the distinction. Yeah. And I think that's a good starting point when you're conversing with people between the church and Israel, the, the most, Theological systems, amillennialism, and and the like will just utterly replace Israel with the church. And I don't see hermeneutically and exegetically how you can wholesale do that Mm -hmm. and be honest with the text. Mm -hmm. There is unity. I get that, and I'm all for that, and we need to declare that salvifically. But there's still distinctions in the plan of God for his, his unique people of God and I say unique in that there is diversity in the people of God. There's one people of God. We're all children of God, Ie redeemed. And yet there's uniqueness in that based upon the church, based upon Israel that that uniqueness doesn't go away. Hmm. There's a and again, that's part of the mystery, that's part of the work of God, that's part of the way progressive revelation and the and the re- redemption plan of God is being is being fulfilled.
0: Hmm. Wow, this was fascinating. I uh, I appreciate it because this opened my eyes to more. I have more questions now, uh, but this would be a great place to end it since we're a little over an hour for the uh, podcast. So thank you all for listening. Um, I'm definitely open to uh, a few questions that you all would have uh, to present to uh, Pastor Matt and uh, the Truth Talks podcast at gmail.com is a great way uh, for that to happen. Um, put some questions into the lonely uh inbox that i have there because nobody emails me about anything so i would really appreciate some 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 love on that that that
1: didn't sound depressing yeah
0: so and also uh thankfully you know the christmas season is coming up here so uh the next couple of podcasts will be you know kind of pointing to that and and uh remembering Uh, all of the the things that uh were just so great about that are so great about christmas so i look forward to that so thank you all for uh you know listening to the truth podcast Truth talks podcast yeah that that podcast not the other one the truth talks podcast appreciate you all listening and uh hopefully uh we'll have some more things coming for you down the pike also check out the shirts there is a christmas shirt there and, and a few things so all right thank you all for listening take care Thanks for tuning in to this. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment. If you have a question, please send them to the thetruthtalkspodcast.gmail.com. Visit our Instagram and Twitter at thetruthtalkspodcast. And visit our website at
1: bellcroftbiblechurch.org. Delighting in the word that we might walk in the truth. A ministry of Bellcroft Bible Church.